Is this the same discussion as uh, shareholder value versus stakeholder value? Or is this a slightly different take on uh, uh, the business? It's a slightly different take because I think the key word that you mentioned, Fritz, is versus. So people think it's an either or choice. Mm -hmm. You either serve shareholders by maximizing prices and cutting wages or you serve society. And so this is why we have a lot of conflict, right? You have a lot of people standing up for business and lobby groups, and then other people saying we need to completely scrap capitalism. And I want to present a middle ground, is that there are ways of, of, of running a business which serves both shareholders and also wider society, and this involves investing and in providing meaningful work to our employees, providing products that positively affect customers' lives rather than, say, causing addiction and reducing our footprint and our harm to the environment. And all of these things in the long term lead to better outcomes for shareholders as well as stakeholders. Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. And if you're new to the channel, please subscribe and hit the bell icon. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Alex Edmonds. Alex, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Fritz. Thanks for having me on. Hey. Now, Alex is a professor of finance at the London Business School with a focus on corporate governance, responsible business, and behavioral science. Now, his research has already been covered by numerous media outlets, ranging from the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, The Economist, but also the BBC, CNN, CNBC, and Reuters. He's also the author of the book, Grow the Pie, which was named uh, to the Financial Times Book of the Year 2020. And uh, he's a speaker at events like the World Economic Forum and was a test speaker. So again, uh, Alex, thank you for being here. Um, before we start on the main topic, grow the pie, um, I was wondering, could you do, uh, willing to share a little bit about your personal background? What was your journey? How did you get uh, to become a professor of finance? Thanks for asking. So maybe I'll start from when I was at school. So um, in England, you specialize very early. So you do three or four subjects. And I chose to do maths economics, English, and German. And that was a bit of an unusual mix because some of my friends did just sciences like maths, physics, chemistry, and others did just languages like English, French, and Spanish or something. But I had a mix of both arts and sciences. And that's why I really liked economics because you do have some theory, but you can also have disagreement and different viewpoints. So it's not like physics when there's a right or wrong answer. You have some theories, but different people can have different views. And so that's why I chose to study at university is because I like the chance of sharing different views with different people. And then I went to Morgan Stanley to be an investment banker. And I spent a couple of years there. And I actually enjoyed my time. So you might have a lot of ex-bankers who say they were mistreated and worked to the bone, but I found it interesting. But the problem was I found it quite narrow. So you worked on one client's problems at one time, whereas as a professor, if you do research or you write a book, that could apply to multiple companies across different industries and in different countries. So I thought the impact that you can have in terms of changing people's thinking would be different. So I did a PhD at MIT. I was a professor at Wharton in the US for six years, and I've now been at London Business School for eight years. Great. Okay, that's a very impressive resume. Now, I, I was quite curious when I came across the book Grow the Pie. 
which you were the author of. Uh, could you tell me a little, uh, tell us what is this book about uh, and why did you write it? Why do you, why was it needed? Absolutely. So this book is about the importance of purpose and social responsibility for business. So why is it called Grow the Pie? So what is the pie? So the pie is the value that a company creates. Mm -hmm. And people think it can either be given to investors in the form of profits or society in the form of fair wages and fair prices. And we often think that responsibility is at the expense of profit. So if a company chooses to be responsible, it's giving up part of the pie and therefore reducing the slice that investors take. But in fact, what I'm arguing is that, well, if a company chooses to serve its workers and serve its customers, it actually grows the pie and therefore investors become better off. For example, by paying higher wages, providing meaningful training and work to your employees, they become more motivated and more productive. And you might think, well, that sounds a bit like wishful thinking. It sounds too good to be true. But the heart of the book is rigorous evidence showing that this actually pans out. Companies that do serve society in the long term end up being more successful. So this means that there's not only a moral case for being purposeful and responsible, there's also a business case. So a hard-headed finance professor and ex-investment banker like me should till, still take purpose seriously because it leads to long-term success. Okay, so to what extent is this the same discussion as uh, shareholder value versus stakeholder value? Or is this a slightly different take on uh, uh, the business? It's a slightly different take because I think the key word that you mentioned, Fritz, is versus. So people think it's yeah. an either or choice. Mm -hmm. You either serve shareholders by maximizing prices and cutting wages, or you serve society. And so this is why we have a lot of conflict, right? You have a lot of people standing up for business and lobby groups, and then other people saying we need to completely scrap capitalism. And I want to present a middle ground is that there are ways of, of, of running a business which serves both shareholders and also wider society. And this involves investing in providing meaningful work to our employees, providing products that positively affect customers' lives rather than, say, causing addiction and reducing our footprint and our harm to the environment. And all of these things in the long term lead to better outcomes for shareholders as well as stakeholders. Okay, makes sense. Um... Now, how do you recognize a, an organization which looks, uh, who, which already does that combination, which looks at both? So that would be an organization which does things which aren't clearly linked to profit, but are driven by the desire to solve a social need. So let me just give an example. Yeah. So uh, Vodafone yeah. is the um, was the largest, is still the largest telecoms company in the UK. In two thousand and seven, its strategy was just to expand in the West and win Spectrum license auctions. Yet it chose to do something which seemed bizarre at the time. It launched M-Pesa, which is a mobile money service in Kenya, to allow Kenyan citizens to transfer money to each other on their phone without even needing cash. And that was really powerful because back then, like a cash society, they've got a risk of robbery and forgery and so on. And what this did is it provided financial inclusion to hundreds of thousands of Kenyans. Now, they didn't do that to make money, but right? if their only goal was to make money, then they would have just focused on the West because that's when you have most profitable customers. They did it to serve society. And then what was interesting was in the long term, they were able to monetize it and profit from it. 
So it was a decision that was taken to begin with to solve this problem of financial inclusion in Kenya, but it was something that ultimately grew the pie and also benefited investors. And so that's a great example of what the book is about. Okay. Now, um, now is Vodafone an exception to the rule uh, or do you see more companies starting to pay interest to uh, the whole concept of growing the pie? I, I don't think it's an exception. So I think back then, maybe in 2007, they were. But what I've seen really in, in the last couple of years is people embracing the importance of purpose. So even before the pandemic, you had many companies which are trying to act purposely. And then you have seen this in the pandemic. So Unilever, for example, mm -hmm. guaranteed the jobs of all 155,000 workers. And notice I'm saying workers here. Yes. not employees. Mm -hmm. So some companies only care about their directly employed workers. But here, all workers, even if you're a contractor, they guaranteed your jobs, even though the pandemic meant that some revenues were falling. They also gave 100 million euros of food and sanitizer away to local um, customers and, and communities. You can think of like companies like Google and Apple. I know big tech often is accused of being um, bad, but they, even though they're their biggest rivals, they teamed up to develop contact tracing systems. And then you have other companies, let's say LVMH, they make perfume. You might think, well, that doesn't serve wider society. Perfume is just for rich people. But they repurposed their factories to make hand sanitizer. Why? Because perfume, one of the ingredients is alcohol, and you can also use alcohol to make hand sanitizer. So I think we've seen a lot of response from companies to try to solve this massive social problem of the coronavirus. But I would say that it's not just in the pandemic, right? So it's not that when the pandemic is over, I think every company is going to go back to focusing solely on profit. Even before the pandemic, you saw the movement towards purpose. For example, 181 CEOs in the US signed the business roundtable statement saying that they were going to serve wider society. Now, clearly not every company is doing this and not every company signing the statement has actually followed through with it. Mm -hmm. But I do see at least the general direction of travel is positive, even though we still have a long way to go. Okay, now that, that's very good to hear. Uh, although, um, if I'm a little bit critical, so far I've heard ex in the examples, multinationals. Uh, does it also, uh, it's like Vodafone is multinational, uh, which you mentioned, uh, Unilever. Uh, would it also apply to SMEs? Uh, I mean, can they do the same thing? I think it's a great question, Fritz, because often people think, well, purpose. Yeah, you can do that if you're Vodafone, if you're Unilever, have you got 100 million euros lying yes. around? Yeah. But if you're an SME, right, how can you do this? You don't have the money. And I think you can. And what I want to do is shatter the myth that yes. purpose is about spending loads of money, right? Instead, what it can involve is using your expertise in new ways which are costless. Let me give another example of an SME that I'm a customer of. It's called Barry's Bootcamp. So it's a brutal gym, right, throughout the world. David Beckham goes to the one in, in London. And they were obviously closed during the pandemic. But what they chose to do was offer free online fitness classes through Instagram, which were really important because people were self-isolating at home. Yeah. That didn't cost them anything. It used the expertise of the trainers which they already had. The trainers probably enjoyed it because it kept them in the mode of teaching classes so that now when gyms reopen on Monday, they'll be able to um, keep teaching because they've practiced this. But I think the following was really interesting. Let's say you're a desk worker at the gym. You check people when they go in. Now the gyms are closed. What can you do? Well, what it turns out is that some of these desk workers are actors. 
in their main job. But if you're an actor, your income is volatile. So they took this desk job to provide them with stability. And if you're an actor, your skill is that you're really funny. Now you might think, well, how can that help in the pandemic? But what we had was a lot of working parents with their children at home because the schools were shut. So what they did was free Zoom storytelling sessions to take the load off working parents. And so again, that's a great example. It didn't cost you any money, but just using the talents that you had to serve society in a way that was really important when schools were closed. Okay, these are great examples. Um... I do have a question, given the fact that the brand called you has a global audience. Uh, to what extent does culture have an influence uh, on uh, growing the pie, on accepting uh, this as an, uh, an, a concept? So there clearly are, are cultural differences um, throughout the world, but this is not to try to ignore them, but to highlight that actually the principles I'm talking about, I don't think are specific to a, a, a given culture, right? So yes, clearly cultures will differ in terms of individualism or hierarchy or power distance and so on, but the whole idea that both society and shareholders can benefit well, that means it's a win-win. So it doesn't matter what your preference is as a society for money versus well-being. Given that we can grow both, I think this is just as much applicable to a very capitalist country as it is to a country which is more equality-based. Let's take a country which is cares more about well-being. Well, an important part of well-being is profit, mm -hmm. right? Because if you save for retirement you need to be able to generate investor returns. So even the company, a country which cares about well-being, you still need to care about profits. And then in contrast, in a purely capitalist country, which cares a lot about money, well, I'm showing that the only way that you can make money in the long term is if you take stakeholders seriously, you treat employees like humans and partners in the organization and so on. Okay, I think you just hit on a key word in your whole uh, story, and that's the long term, because I, I read you once said it takes the market four or five years before benefits of employee well-being show up in the stock price. Now, this might seem quite a long-term view for investors. Um, so w when you talk to investors, uh, to captains of industry about uh, this whole concept, uh, how do you cope with the fact that it's it's a long to, uh, it's it's a long game you're playing? It's a really important challenge, Fritz, and so this is the the key thing because yes, the pie grows, but it in the long term the pie grows. So if you invest in your workers, only maybe four to five years down the line does it show up in profits. But here's the important thing: is there's a difference between the stock price and profits. So even if something doesn't hit profits until five years from now it could still increase the stock price immediately. For example, right, if Tesla was to announce a new electric car, which maybe won't be produced for five years, the stock price will go up immediately on the news. And we saw when BP announced their energy transition plan, the stock price went up immediately. So it's true that in the past, it took the stock price four to five years before it incorporated profit. So they would wait until the profits increased before the stock price increased. But what I'm hoping is that thanks to the research by me and other people, that the stock market will be more forward-looking and that even if the benefits take four to five years to affect profit, they could affect the stock price immediately, like in the case of Tesla and like in the case of BP. And indeed, one of the reasons for writing the book is to say, well, this whole concept of caring about society is not just fluffy, 
is not just tree huggy, it's serious for business and for success. So you investors, you should be paying more attention to it. And then you wouldn't have to wait for so long if the stock market was reacting immediately. Okay, that's a great story. Now, you've already uh, gave a couple of, uh, made a couple of remarks and related it to the current pandemic. Um, do you think that the current pandemic is uh, accelerating um, this whole concept or putting it on, on hold for, uh, uh, for the moment? I think it's accelerating it. So, so certainly the pandemic has been really, really harsh in, in many, many ways. Yeah. And my fear was that this is going to lead to companies thinking, I'm not going to care it's about yeah. society. Yes. I'm going to focus on myself and focus on survival. And maybe there have been a couple of companies that did that. But I think most companies have now recognized the importance of serving wider society and also that this doesn't need to involve a huge expenditure of money. So what they've now realized is that let me think creatively about what is in my hand. So what I mean by that is what are the resources? What is the expertise that my company has and how can I use this to serve society? And so if there is a silver lining from the pandemic, then I think permanently companies can ask themselves, what creative things can I do with my expertise? And if so, I think this will allow us to solve a lot of social issues without using too many resources if you're using the resources at your disposal in much more flexible and creative ways. Just like the example of the actors you just mentioned who, get, who then the, do storytelling. Yes, or something like that, or, yeah. or say a perfume company making sanitizer, or you had Ford, right? They were using their airbag material to make masks and gowns. Mm. Mercedes, they have their engineering expertise. Normally, it makes Formula One engines. Yeah. Those engineers were now making um, continuous positive air pathway breathing machines. So they're a less invasive alternative to, to ventilators. Okay. Now, does something like a cookbook exist? Uh, suppose a company uh, is uh, very interested in the concept, hey, we want to implement this. Uh, what should they do? What could they do? Yeah, so I think uh, like there won't be a, a full recipe in a cookbook, but I don't think that was what you meant, Fritz, nope. but it's more principles yeah. that they can follow. Yeah, so it is yes. the broad recipes, but not as specific, um, like, like, like you must do exactly this. And so I try to do this at the end of my book. I have a list of action items so that you put it into practice rather than it just being um, a, uh, a nice idea. But let me just share a few of them. So the first is to define the purpose of your organization. And what do I mean by that? Well, the purpose is why does the company exist? It can't be to make money, right? Just like what is your person's purpose? You wouldn't say it's to earn a salary. It might be to be a doctor or be a teacher or to be a, a parent or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so similarly, a company's purpose, it could be for Vodafone to use our digital technology to enhance socioeconomic pro progress, for example. And that purpose needs to be focused and targeted. You can't be all things to all people. And then number two, it would be to think of, well, how do you measure your success at fulfilling your purpose? So another example there's a bank in China called MyBank. Mm -hmm. And I'm mentioning this because you mentioned small and micro enterprises, Fritz. And one of their purposes, they're measuring by how many small and micro enterprises do they lend to? And how many of those had never received a loan from any bank before? Right. So they're providing financial inclusion. And to measure this, 
we're not just going to look at the number of customers, but the number of customers who never had access to finance before us. And whatever your purpose is, you can come up with some metrics to try try to measure that. And so I think those are two very important steps uh, to take. Okay. Hey, now, I've heard you speak now a couple of times, Alex, and it's always, uh, I see a lot of uh, passion. And I was just wondering, um, how is your... I would say your personal motivation tied to your academic world. Um, how congruent are you uh, with your academic research? So I, it's, it's always um, tempting to like reverse engineer and say, oh, well, because yeah. of these factors, I end up doing this. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but let me um, attempt. Um, so I was really lucky when I was young to go to a, a Montessori school. And, and so there you have a very broad education. So it would be the boys would play netball, the girls would play rugby. If you learned about Hadrian's Wall, you would then go and visit Hadrian's Wall. You wouldn't just read about it in a textbook. And I think this is interesting for my topic of, of purpose because it's multidisciplinary, right? So yes, you involve um, some um, strategic and human elements to it, mm -hmm. but I'm bringing a finance perspective to show that this is something that rigorously show, shows up in the data. And I do believe that multidisciplinary aspect is something which is back, um, back to, based on my um, early, early childhood and education. I also think it's something that I really care about passionately. It's not just a research topic for me, but something which is fun. And that was something that was really instilled in me from my school, right? You, you did music and sport, not to put it on your university application. You did it because you just enjoy doing it. And I, I think that's really important. And I think that's the whole aspect of purpose is that you do things for intrinsic reasons because it's the nice thing to do rather than for instrumental reasons because I can get something out of it. One of my big hobbies is, is um, sports and fitness. Uh, and so that's something which involves short-term costs, right? It is painful to go to the gym, but a lot of long-term benefit. Yes. And another thing I do is, is music where there's a short-term cost, a lot of practice by yourself, doing some boring mm -hmm. scales, but in the long-term, it's a skill for the rest of your life. And I, I do think that's allied to the idea of purpose, which is about pursuing things for, for long-term benefits. Yeah, no, it, it definitely shows and brings me to another question is, where do you draw your inspiration from? Where do I draw my inspiration from? I think just various people that I've, I've, I've met over, over my time. So it'd be difficult for me to point to specific people because unless you know them, it would just be a, um, difficult to understand why. But like every time I have an interaction, I try and think, well, what can I learn? What can I take away from this person? It might just be like one quote that they've given me or one small act that I've done. But if you, I try to go through life thinking about how much can I learn from this? I've, I, I remember yeah. being in one really boring talk yeah, in that boring talk, there was one great line. So if you read my book, the line about Bruce Springsteen came from that really boring talk. So that one hour, I got that one little nugget. I think mean, that's how approach should be for everything. Yes, when we go to a meeting we don't want to, you can complain or you're dealing with a, a difficult client. But I think in every interaction that we have, there can be a little bit of gold that you can find. And, I, and just like I'm saying, purpose is about finding your expertise and using it to solve a problem, I think we can take apply that approach to everything that we do in life. Oh, that's great. Now, again, it shows. Um, one final question uh, for me, Alex, before we end. Um, we're in the last 10 years to help uh, for the world to resolve the sustainability development goals. And it's been the, the decade of action, activity, execution. That's what, how the UN positioned this. 
so to what extent um, does that also help your? I mean, it seems like uh, your book uh, has a great timing because also UN is now uh, very much uh, pushing the execution of we need to do more than just uh, work and earn money. We need to do save the planet, uh, inclusion, and the whole range of SDGs out there, which we need to resolve. Yes. And so what I wanted to do with my book is to show that this is something which is not just nice to have because you're serving society, but it should be something which is urgent and critical for all business leaders, even CFOs who might typically think, well, purpose is is a waste of money. And what's been really gratifying is that if you think about some of the companies that have um, read the book and asked me to speak to them about it, they include investment banks, Mm -hmm. private equity, hedge funds, law firms. And so these are the companies that you might think are not historically receptive to the idea of purpose. But I do believe they, re- they, they recognize that there's a different way of doing business. And because what I'm stressing is this doesn't mean becoming commercially naive and forgetting about what's made you successful for, for a long time, but it does in, in involve a different way of working, but you can still be a purposeful company and also a commercially successful one. And I don't think this is backed by, by wishful thinking, but a lot of um, evidence and, and case studies and examples. Uh, one great thing I'm really gratified by is it's been translated into Korean and Chinese. And you talked about, Fritz, that this is a global problem and you've got a global audience. And I do believe the message of responsible business is something that should be spread worldwide. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity to do so. Great. Okay. Well, having scanned through the book, I've seen lots of great examples, uh, hard facts to prove your case. So, uh, so the challenge is keep the long-term view in there, but you've given more than enough proof that you can actually combine purpose and profit uh, for yeah for the good of society and the world in general. So, Alex, it was great having you on the show and sharing your insights for the brand called you, and uh, really hope we meet again. So, again, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Fritz. It was great to be here. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for The Brand Called You.